everyone, I'm Samilla. Welcome to Menswear by a Woman podcast. And today's guest, I've got to say that I am a great fan of her work. Um, I love her. It's not menswear, but it's, it's, it is in a way. Um, she comes from menswear, but she has the most beautiful, amazing looking um, children's wear, unisex children's wear, which I can't tell you. I The first time I looked at it, I thought, oh my God, I love it. I love it. Every part of it and the whole idea of this brand. Um, it's just amazing. It's called Monty & Co. And it's Lee Montague. And I'm going to get her on board and talk about a lot of things now. Lee, welcome to Menswear by a Woman. It is absolutely a privilege to have you on board. Oh, thank you, Samilla. It's fantastic to be talking to you. Um, big admirer of your podcast and your thank passion you. and everything you're achieving with it as well. So I um, feel really honoured to be able to talk with you today. Oh, thank you so much. But I must say it's the the unisex um, children's wear that you've created, absolutely beautiful. Even when I actually look at the images, right, your photo shoots, oh my God, I feel like I need to come and see your photo shoots. I need to be a part of oh. it, you know. Oh, thank you. What a lovely thing to say. Yeah, I think that's really important to hear for me, actually. I um, like a lot of things with my business, actually. I like to try and where when everyone goes right, I try to go left. So, yeah, with my photo shoots, I um, especially where children involved, I try and choose a natural setting and there's no hair or makeup and it's very much about them being themselves and we just try and capture that beauty of childhood and um yeah if that comes across and you want to jump into the pictures then uh, oh my god that's uh, wonderful to hear it's just like some I mean I'm even looking at it the aprons look so amazing the aprons the clothes the jackets everything about it it's just like yeah she's got it so right <laughs> you know so well done oh, congratulations <laughs> I know you come from a menswear background and um as we was talking about it how did you how did it all begin anyway with children's wear from menswear to children's um, wear well I guess to start a very long story short I think about age 11 I I just like was very adamant that I wanted to be a fashion designer and that never changed so um yeah, obviously went on all the paths to um, gain access into that industry and learn the skill and craft. And um, I was a menswear designer for a decade at um, Marks and Spencers. Right. And um, I loved menswear. For me, I, I'm quite a tomboy, I guess. And I've got my, my sort of ethos to clothing is clothing for clothing. I'm, I'm not really a fashion person. I really appreciate it all. Um, but for me, the biggest kick is someone wearing your clothes day to day and living in them and passing them down and then becoming their favorite item. So uh, yeah, menswear really suited my kind of aesthetic and my background um, growing up was my grandparents, my grandfathers and my, my father, they were all in the REF. So I was surrounded by a lot of uniform and military. So um, yeah, that kind of had a massive impact on my aesthetic and what I was interested in, sort of daily uniforms and uniform. Um, so yeah, really, children's wear came about from having my first child, really. Um, back in 2014, my son was born and um, the industry was at an interesting time then where mm. obviously the sort of power of the supermarkets and Primark yeah. had suddenly started to really kick in. Um, and it was really whilst I was on maternity leave, having taken that sort of time out that I really had chance to reflect. And, um, I didn't really like the way the industry was going. 
and uh, also really struggled to find practical kind of hard wearing sort of non-graphic driven clothing for my son so that really is how it all began I sort of wanted to create the clothes I couldn't find in the marketplace for my young son um so yeah that was where it, it, it began really I started to design for him and with menswear from um, the change from menswear to children's wear was it difficult in a sense no, it wasn't. I had done some children's wear in my time oh, at Marks okay. and Spencers. So I had 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 done, um, you know, it wasn't a predominant part of my time, but I had been exposed to some children's wear. So um, no, I don't think it was. I think once you've got all the skills as a designer, yeah. um, I think you can apply it to anything. I'm sure you maybe feel the same, yeah. Samilla. And yeah, it was very easy to make that transition. And, and because I was just designing for him and making my own patterns and twirls and you know, getting the fit right for him. Yeah. Um, that wasn't really something I was doing as a commercial designer. Obviously, you know, a lot of the, what that's taken out of your hands of the factories, it's all vertical. They do all the um, garment development for you. Um, so I really wanted to also get back to using my hands and my skills that I'd learned at university. And I love pattern cutting and sewing. And so, yeah, it kind of combined all the things I wanted to do going forward. Um, you've worked in the States as well, um, DVLA as well, and um, just wanted to know, how was your experience with them? Yeah, so I did an internship at Dion von Furstenberg in yeah. New York, and um, it was an incredible experience. Um, I got to live on 34th Street next to Macy's, and um, <laughs> it was obviously that sort of sex in the city time, and, yeah. and uh, looking back on it, it was, uh, yeah, definitely probably one of the best years of my life in many ways right. um, I did get to see the higher end of fashion and how that worked catwalk shows you know I had an incredible experience I was Polaroid taking pictures of Lily Donaldson and uh, Lily Cole and Lily Donaldson and all the top models of the time and um, yeah it was incredibly exciting and one thing I did love is Diane was an, an crazy inspiration in the sense she'd be in the studio and she'd be bringing fabrics and beautiful things from archives and the print and the textile element element there was just incredible and I absolutely loved it I think I realized that the industry at that end was just mm -hmm. not for me mm -hmm. um I think I wanted to go back to really dressing people for day to day and actually yeah. although their, their clothes did transpire that very well um catwalk sort of fanfare and the constant seasons and the PR machines that kind of yeah. go around those type of businesses yeah. just wasn't really for me I'm quite a down-to-earth person and um yeah I think I just realized that 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 wasn't where I was gonna flourish or succeed or really where my values fitted either How, being in menswear as a woman was it difficult um it was. Yeah, it was yeah. in some ways. I think as an actual designer, yes. I think when I started at Marks and Spencers, um, yeah. I think there was a couple of us that were assistant designers um, that were women, but all the designers were men at the time. And a lot of them were very experienced and had been in the industry a long time. Um, so, yes, I was seen as probably very young. And I did have to work really hard, I think, maybe harder, maybe than a male counterpart. It's hard to know, hard to know but potentially. I mean, I, 
it was definitely quite male dominated when you went to like PV yes. and um, I did struggle with that a little bit, feeling like the sort of young assistant that was walking around. Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 I think it did feel, yeah, it maybe did feel that, that obviously I was the minority definitely within that team at the time when I was starting my career. How do you feel about menswear at the moment? Do you do you see love, do, you, do you still see magazines of menswear, or are you so busy that you know the, your brand, your label takes over, and you you don't look at menswear anymore? Yeah, do you know I'm still drawn to menswear. I always am for inspiration, and um, yeah, I always kind of return to it. And uh, yeah, like when I'm looking at books, I mean, I've just a couple of books I've just recently picked up is like Cecil Beaton's War for. War photographs, there's some right, amazing okay. like military references in there. And I've just got the Black Ivy book as oh, well, which is incredible. Um, that book is amazing. That book is just isn't it absolutely, absolutely stunning? And yeah, I, I, so I interviewed both of them book. actually. Um, I interviewed Graham Marsh as well as Jason Jules on the podcast. And oh. Graham Marsh is like, I've been a fan of Graham's work from uni time. Right. And um, I always wanted to know why there wasn't a book about, you know, black guys wearing ivy wear. Even I, I told him this. And when it came out, I'm thinking, my God, all those years I've been waiting for a book like this to come out. So talking to Graham Marsh, it was fascinating about how about jazz and how he came about and how the blue note covers and everything. It was unbelievable chat with him. Lee, honestly. Oh. I missed that episode. I must go back and 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 listen to that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, the book is incredible. I mean, I was always I've always been very much inspired by sort of heritage and prep preppy kind of and and like like I say the military and history and menswear. I yeah. love all that, and I still geek out geek out about that a lot. And I still return to it a lot for inspiration, even within my children's wear, wow. because I just love workwear and I love styling and um, yeah obviously that yeah it still inspires me very much so and I think it definitely still inspires me more than women's wear and all I think men's wear has had such exactly. an amazing transformation in the last 20 years and I think that's where the most exciting things are happening still and I can't wait to go and see the VNA exhibition oh I know that's same just, here um, same here yeah same here I've got to go and see that as well but I think um oh, you know, maybe we can go together some yeah. that would be brilliant. fantastic <laughs> that'd be brilliant actually let's do that let's do that for let's sure let's do that <laughs> you know, for sure. Um, but I wanted to ask you about your business as well, your brand. Was it difficult to start up? It was. I think I was quite naive, to be honest with you. And, right. and maybe looking back, that was a good, good <laughs> thing. I was so excited and so passionate. And I'd been obviously working on the high street for 10 years. And yep. I guess I was the right, I just turned 30-ish. So I was that right side of having the energy and yep. yeah, I think I thought it was going to be really easy. You know, I knew what, uh, maybe I was a bit cocky uh, as well with it. I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe because I just had a child, I had like superhero powers that I felt that I could uh, do anything. But um, the, yeah, the, I had a gear sort of doing the research and development and right, um, okay. and a lot of that was business related too. I spent a lot of time at the British Library going to talks about IP and um, you know trying to learn my craft as well in terms of business because I am a creative ultimately and the business side doesn't always come so naturally to me um, but no I think the reality is it was a lot harder than 
I thought. Um, and yeah, starting was hard. I think the excitement of launching a business mm-hmm. and yeah, I think you realize now with social media and everything that you really do need an audience or a community to be yeah. able to sort of get the sales to go with the business. And yeah. yeah, I think I was slightly disappointed in the first few weeks of my business and, and some of my projections for sales were a little bit optimistic at the beginning, but um, yeah, it's, it's all a learning learning curve and um if it was if it was easy everyone would do it right so yeah, sure. uh, definitely you hit the nail on the head actually if mm-hmm. it was easy then we would all be uh, doing it and it is very tough it does change a lot of things um it's like having another child though isn't it it totally is yeah I say Monty and Co is like my fourth child I've got two boys now a dog and and one <laughs> one team go and yeah it, it, it is you know like anything that you put your heart into it needs nurturing it's like planting a seed it, it you've got to care for it day in day out it doesn't ever stop you can't walk away from it um and so it's a big commitment yeah and I knew that going into it and I think that's why I'm still here five years later is that uh I really love it mm-hmm. you have to love it to want to keep doing it absolutely so. um wanted to ask you a bit about um your creative side of it how do you come up with all the you know these wonderful images the wonderful clothing that you do the unisex so how does it how do you build up with this creative mind with collections and um designing and all that stuff yeah I think I'd say a lot of it's quite instinctive. I, I definitely, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like I say, I'm not really inspired by fashion and, and looking at that and what's going on. It's very much, um, you know, much more inspired by seeing people wearing an outfit in a certain way or how are they wearing those trousers slightly differently mm-hmm. or um, that that always inspires me a lot more than like looking at catwalks. So I'm always inspired by other people's work and what they're achieving, of course. But um, I love history, so I'm always always got my head in books. I've, I'm obsessed with books and research and oh, yeah. um, photography books, design books. Um, I totally go into these periods of hyper focusing on something I find interesting, and then I just go down a rabbit hole. And you know, it could be the colours, the yeah. pictures, yeah. the mood. It all kind of comes from there. Um, at the moment, I'm really inspired by a lot of the early uh, 20th century female artists that didn't really have a voice or um, wow. have, you know, again, weren't championed as much as their male counterparts. People like Winifred Knight and Laura Knight, um, and their beautiful paintings and they're very much sort of this sort of rural kind of aesthetic but some of the colors and the way they paint clothing within their pictures is really inspiring me currently at the moment so yeah I I I kind of lean to things like that that kind of inspire me and then it, it really does get very much watered down it could be a color that um you know I take one of my existing silhouettes and just obviously the fabric or the color changes um I don't tend to do loads and loads of new things because I really kind of quite anti that I feel like when you find a good design or a mm-hmm. good piece of clothing then mm-hmm. it should be revered and it, it it should last and it shouldn't just be thrown away after one season um which is hard actually when you're trying yeah. to be creative because you have all these ideas to trying yeah. to, re- to sort of restrict them yeah. to make sure that they only filter down to the ones that really deserve to come to fruition um 
<laughs> it's, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not actually. Um, have you ever had a chance? Well, have you had times where you felt like, oh, I want to give this up. I can't do this anymore. Or yeah, have... no, it, there has been times. I mean, Just juggling motherhood with yeah, I with, can imagine. With, with running a business, especially actually this I past year, my son, my second son, is eighteen months old now, and he's not a very good sleeper. The classic and. Um, yeah, it's very hard to find that time now to do the creative stuff because it is myself. So I'm, you know, packing all the orders. I don't have a fulfillment center. I'm running the website. I'm, um, I don't work with a vertical factory like a lot of brands, even small business owners do where the factory sources the fabric, they source the trims, they do the patterns, everything for you. Um, obviously you pay for that within the service, but I, I work with a factory where they do CMT, which is cut, make, trim. So I, source all the materials that need to go into them from the buttons to the labels. So all that admin that goes with that, um, you know, customer service is really important to me. I have a repair scheme. So I do repairs for my clothes as well. All obviously very time consuming. So it really does leave very limited time for me to do the creative side, but I'm really working hard again now. Now my son's a bit older to get that back because uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I've got this sort of, you know, it's funny, like five years ago when I started Monty & Co, I had this obviously massive energy for all this creativity and these designs <laughs> I had in my head that I wanted to get out. And I feel like I'm going through that again. It's weird how you have those cycles of um, like real creative flow, I guess. And I feel like I'm in one of those right now, which is really nice. But um, yeah, it's it's just being really sort of, uh, you have to be really kind of strong with your time and say, right, tonight I'm working. I, I have to go into my, I have to go into the studio and let, get it all out. <laughs> How, with the actual, well, your studio's in a very beautiful place, I must admit. Uh, you know, when I look at your pictures of your studio and to say, oh my God, I would love to be there as well. I would love to come in over there and just work. Oh. You know, it's absolutely gorgeous compared to, me in London um that's all I see is just houses around but you've got fields and fields and beautiful colors just oh my god it's breathtaking actually um I wanted to ask you um with the diversity and everything you've gone through a hard time um being in menswear as well and so have I and um do you see any of that changing at the moment like um you know within companies having diverse groups of people of color in the workforce I think um I'd like to think it's happening I obviously at the moment don't have that experience not being in a corporate company anymore yeah but I I do I do have massive concerns that there's a lot of tokenism going around um so there's that perception that companies are being diverse or a bit like the greenwashing that's happening within yeah. the industry as well it's yeah. like are we doing this great campaign where we're being more inclusive or um you know we're using more diverse models yeah but okay that's perception is is that what's really happening within your community within your offices within your design studios are you really in championing those people that are in your campaigns are you actively supporting and encouraging black or Asian or neurodiverse or disabled students into the fold? Are you, and talent into your fold and welcoming them and giving them the same opportunities and platforms as maybe cis white um, 
designers you know is that really is what happening that's the question I have um I think there's a, probably a long way until we get to that place um you know I see uh, recently in recent years I've been into um a few uh, few universities and what what I see in universities is an amazing inclusive diverse sort of cohort of really talented students um from different heritage and different race different backgrounds and I think it'd be interesting um to see the stats of who make it into yeah. the industry yeah. um and I don't know if anyone is ever done actually that. doing some active work on that in yeah. terms of diversity because that's what we need isn't it Samilla? Yeah. we need the facts yeah. of right out of your cohort of uh 60 students where did they go and yeah. you know how, I, it's where, so funny how you say that successful in that in in that realm yeah. and, and who were the successful ones because exactly. were they given the same opportunities yeah. that's the questions we need I mean the facts on and it's great that you say it, you've just said that because it's fantastic to hear that and um I'm really happy to hear that from you actually because I know people like yourselves are the people who change who will be the ones who change it and um the the other thing is um had when I went to the Royal College of Art, when I went to Central St. Martins, when I went to London College of Fashion, I went to three universities, top, top names universities. Um, you can't get any better than St. Martins or the Royal College, right? Um, they're very yeah, top. It's incredible merit on your behalf and you your know? talent to be able to access those. And um, I just wish they actually, um, when I was there, when we was there, um, I was the only Asian woman doing menswear. But the fact was they never made me realize that I was a Indian woman doing menswear, which was great, which was fantastic because I loved it because I was a menswear designer, which I give credit to these universities for making me feel like a part of it. Um, but the other thing was when I went out there, I was seen, as I was speaking to you before, I was seen as an Indian woman, not a menswear designer. And I just wish it's really hard because how do you get um how would the university turn around and say to me listen you're an asian person you're going to get it tough or if you're a black person you're going to get it tough out there in those times and how would they've done that to me uh you know how would they've actually put me on the side to say you're going to get it tough because people are going to pick on your culture or your color um that was quite something that I don't think any university would do. But they kind of, when I went out there, I was by myself and it was quite scary. As every student goes at it, you know, we're all excited to the big world. We all want to do great. We want to do amazing stuff because you're so excited and you're so naive. But Lee, I can't tell you, the, um, the experience has scarred. Um, it's the same thing that um, Charlie Allen said he was scarred as well you know because it does kill your confidence because you're battered every single moment you go in for an interview you know you're always seen or picked on certain stupid reasons nothing to do with your work or nothing to do with your creative work and you're 100% right um, the stats to come back I know majority of people who were in my class have become creative directors yeah, who I have been created to directors. I was working in shops, in retail, because you got to learn a living, right? So I was working in shops. 
I remember going to an agency, and um, this was the this was when I I was fuming actually, when someone was at the Royal College of Art, he below me, he got the job as a creative director, but the agency wouldn't put my CV forward, and he's just a student who came out, and I've I haven't had a job for over a year. So I was still seen, but they just wouldn't. And I remember sitting there and I remember him sitting there and he was saying, oh, you know, I'm just become the creative director for so-and-so company. And I looked at them and I said, how comes he's become a creative director, but you haven't put my CV forward for over a year or so? They didn't answer anything. And it's just, and you're right, because even though... Yes, there is opportunities out there. There are amazing opportunities out there. And um, but sometimes I feel like was I the those one doors are closed. Opposed, yeah. Those doors there might yeah. be those opportunities, and you have exactly yeah. the same experience, yeah. Yeah. exactly the yeah. same back, you know yeah. educational background. But unfortunately, the prejudice still shines way too. I know. And I always used to say, and I always used to say, I've got an MA, I've got a BA. How is it possible that I still can't open doors for myself? And had I known this, then I don't think I would have got an MA or a BA. Had I known this, because it was too hard, it was, I worked very hard to get them. But then I worked even harder to get a job out in there to be accepted. But thank God I wasn't accepted because you know what? None of us are going to be accepted because we are all creative people. <laughs> we don't get, we have our own ways of being accepted, you know, being creative. It's the best tool you can ever have because it's, it, it, to me, I still love what I do. I still love menswear. I, I've told people, you know, I I don't hold a grudge against them, whatever, because I think what they've done is they've made me stronger, made me fall in love with menswear even more, I think. And I'm grateful for that because I've learned the hard way. And it's the most challenging progress that I've ever had, Lee. It's, it's, I can't tell you because um, even Charles says to me, how did you keep it? How did you mentally carry on? And you have to because you love something so much. It's like with Monty and Co, right? You will do anything and everything to keep it going. And it's the same way yeah. that I feel about menswear. I would do everything and anything to keep on loving this, right? Because as I said before, I never wanted to be a menswear designer. I didn't even know that existed. When I was six or seven, I think I wanted to be an astrophysicist. Um <laughs> You know, because I was one of those who wanted to touch the stars and f figure out why is the moon, why is the moon following me, and all of that silly thing as a child. And I used to tell my parents, "I'm going to be an astrophysicist. I'm going to be an astronaut." And they just looked at me, thinking, "What a mad child this is." But um, it's like having a conversation with Jason Jules, who said, um, "When I looked at my father's garments, um, tailored garments." It's when I realized, oh, my God, I love the way dad dresses or the way dad puts his um, jacket on, the way he his tailored shirt, um, tailored shirt, tailored trousers. You know, I was fascinated. But then I didn't know I was becoming a menswear designer. No way. No way. But what I'm saying is it's, it's been incredibly hard. It's been incredibly hard in the sense that I'm still passionate about what I love. And that's the biggest thing about it. That is incredible, Samila, because... It's very 
admirable of you when you see others, maybe with not the same amount of passion and dedication as you, having these doors open to them very easily. Yeah. And you feel like those doors are totally closed off to you and and, and your experience, you know, is lived by so many. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's very, it would be very easy to get angry and what's incredible about yourself is that you've channeled that injustice into your podcast to try and raise awareness yeah. and really make people understand that still in 2022 we are yeah. facing such an injustice within the industry within many obviously within many industries but that it's important that you know these conversations are there and that people that are perpetuating um and marginalizing people of color like yourself, Indian um, and black people and women in particular as well. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, your voice is really important that we ensure that, you know, if nothing else, people are aware of that this is what happens within the industry and, and that this is how much harder it is for someone like yourself to gain the opportunities that really you should be having doors wide open for given where you studied and all the work you've done in 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 to get to learn your craft in in you know in the most prestigious design schools in the country Um, and it wasn't easy to be in those universities I'll tell you that with the Royal College oh my god it wasn't easy to um, even you know before they don't even look at you they look at your work first you know, they look at your portfolio first and then they actually look at you. Um, then you get a second interview. So your first interview is your portfolio and this, then they call you in for an interview. And that's how the Royal College Art works. But it was hard getting into those universities, but I never realised I could do it. And I thought to myself, I'm going to go and get myself a master's despite whatever happens. And you realise that, you know, I, I, I was speaking to someone yesterday and I said, why is it even with a BA and an MA doors weren't still opening for me, but I know people from the university, their doors were opened. They were, you know, they, they've got the same as I have. So why was it that their doors were opening and mine wasn't? And sadly, what else could it be? Was I always thought, Lee, honestly, I thought I was crap at menswear when I couldn't open the doors and nobody would give me a job. I literally thought, it's me. It's got to be me. I, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And I actually literally said, I'm not good enough as a menswear designer. No way am I good enough. And that's the reason why nothing, none of the doors open. It's only when Black Lives Matter, when the fashion industry came out and said, hold on a minute, we don't have a diversity range of people in our offices. Or, you know... In, even when I used to go for interviews, I hardly used to see any ethnic minority in the studios. So I used to feel like, why am I the only one walking in for a design job? You know? And it's, and, and also, there's no one there to champion you, right? Because yeah. there's no one that looks like you. And that's the biggest, you know we've got to hope the biggest change that happens in the industry within the next 10 years. And I hope that Black Lives Matter isn't something that people forget about, Mm -hmm. that it is something that they think about on a day-to-day basis. And like we were talking earlier, you know, thing, you know, the fact that there's a male black editor of Vogue and a female um, creative director now, 
um, is must be incredibly inspiring. Yes, you know, I think is. about some of the students that you know, and and past in the past intern that I had working for me. The, if they could actually now, they can actually now see themselves that okay, I could be, I can be the editor of Vogue because for once it's not being held by a white wealthy um, female mm. uh, who has pretty much held the position for centuries. You know, yeah, and exactly. that we have those that is in you know it shouldn't be that that's the case but it it is fantastic that things like that are happening but that needs to happen all the way throughout the industry within publishing within styling within photography yeah you know not just within the design houses as well um you know i think the biggest thing we forget about fashion is that who makes our clothes um and actually most of the clothes clothes are made by people of color black Indian yeah you know women that's who you know that is the majority of the garment workers and you know that still also isn't people don't recognize no you're 100% absolutely right 100% right because I actually said um I think a few weeks back when I was talking with Charles and I said you know the majority of workers that you actually look at factory workers you know they are from ethnic mi- minority, you know, they're from ethnic bi- background. And nobody actually says anything or talks about it that, you know, here I am today, you know, trying to get a, des- you know, w- you know, I couldn't get a design job. But then again, they were using factory workers who were Asians, who are black, who are Puerto Ricans, who are, you know, Chinese. And, you know, all of these factories were making, there were women yeah. with children who were literally working their guts out um, and they couldn't, I mean, look what happened in Bangladesh. You know, it was like terrible, you know, you just think this is crazy. And there's a a woman on, uh, she was actually crying her eyes out, who said, you have no idea how hard I work. I've got children that I have to feed and I work my guts out just to make sure. And they are forced to work. You know, and there's so much going on. It's like, oh my God, this trade. And the more you look into it, you just feel like yeah. you hold your stomach and you feel, oh. But on a, on yeah. a, on a, on a nice. But even when I used to visit all the factories, I mean, I've been very fortunate to visit a lot of factories all over the world, but I used to travel to India and Bangladesh regularly to visit factories there. And luckily, the factories I got to visit and be part of with the clothing that I was producing were incredible um in terms of the standard of the factory the garment workers and the support they had and they had childcare on site and they had lots of schemes to support women garment workers but who was running the factories there they were all male um teams you know when I sat down to have meetings with the factories in Bangladesh and India and Sri Lanka there was no women on the sort of board or no. as part of the no, um, I knew that. management staff. No. Um, there was an incredible, inspiring woman that when I was at Marks and Spencer's that headed up the Bangladesh office and she was incredible and she was a shining light in the industry and her knowledge and her commitment and experience. But she was very, very aware, I'd probably say out of my 10 years in industry there, um, it, you know, it's still very male dominated within the factory um, in the, in the factories in the industry that the, you know, whatever region you're in, that um, the management 
are men and yet they are working um in rooms full of women sewing the clothing and you just think they need to be on the board they need to be managing factories Um, I have been in touch with a few um, companies in India and Bangladesh, and um, it is starting to change. Um, there is a massive uproar as well, massive uproar over there, ever since the um, the plaza, you know, the building that fell and all that stuff um, in Bangladesh. It's a massive uproar. Um, even speaking to my cousin in India, she was saying the same thing. She said, you know, it's changing. It's taking time, but it's changing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of women who are putting their foot down and, you know, good on them, but it is starting to change, which is great. Um, I'm, hopefully, I will cover that very soon on the podcast because I think it's important to cover that as well in Menswear by a Woman podcast because as a woman myself, you know, I could have been one of those pe- ladies working out there. You know, if my father didn't come to this country and I, if I was born here, then I could have, I, put, I would have been one of those ladies, um, you know, working in the garment industry. You know, I always say that I could have been one of them. Um, if my, if I wasn't born here, you know, I, yeah, who knows what I would have done in India? Like, in a sense that I would have actually gone into the um, manufacturing garment side. industry. Yeah, yeah, because to to earn a living, you have to do that, I suppose. But I'm sure my parents would have actually, you know. It's changing. The the world in India is changing a lot because the the women who are um, earning and all that stuff, their children are going into education. So, you know, they are teaching them because education in India. They're mirroring. Women, they're mirroring. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah the the because, new generation. Exactly. The next generation. And educating women in India, girls, it's so, so important. And they recognize that even in Bangladesh, other countries like that they realize that educating girls is the most important thing that you can do because that's the way going forward. The change is going to yeah, happen, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. I think, and the mirroring, you know, yeah, like exactly. we say, you know, go, it, it, it sort of touch, touches everything we've discussed, you know, yeah. that people see yeah. the behavior that's mirrored, um, yeah. the positions that are mirrored. You know, I very much, that's my big thing with my boys is that how I behave and how I treat others, they will, you yeah. know, and if they see me with black friends and Indian friends and treating them with respect, like I treat my white friends, they will do the same. Exactly. In life, you know? And I think, and, um, Lee, and I think you guys are the, gen- like you myself are the generation of changes. We're, we're the ones who are going to change it, a lot of things in the industry. I'm hoping I do, and I'm, and I know you will. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about menswear was, I know you have to go. Um, who's your favorite menswear designer? Going on a light note now. <laughs> oh, my favorite menswear designer. Yeah. That's a hard, that's the really tricky one. Um <laughs> it's funny. I'm one of those people that doesn't have like favorites because I admire people for different um aspects of their design. Yeah, for yeah. different things. It's um, hard. It is hard because if somebody asks me this now, I just couldn't tell them. I think there's a lot of them that I've very yeah, much inspired you know, by yeah. and excited. I do by really work. admire someone like Nigel Cabourne. I think he's yeah. got an amazing aesthetic, and um, also, you know, he could have. Well, his business is very successful, but he's kept it very niche, and I admire how he's kept yeah. his creative eye with his his niche and um, sort of uh, yeah, kept that integrity and authenticity to what he does. Um, so, as a British male designer, I 
really respect him. And, uh, you know, Virgil is such a sad loss to the industry. I think he broke down some huge barriers in terms of class within the industry and making clothing accessible to, um, yeah, and also breaking that glass ceiling of going into really huge high fashion brands um so yeah his his recent uh passing is is a huge loss and I think he's had a lasting impact especially on the black uh design community and white Mm. design community Mm. and 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 just in general to show that um you know a black talented designer can hold a position at um, a huge house like he did at Vuitton um at the end of his career so yeah and I love Kim Jones I think he's someone that I've always followed Mm -hmm. you know he was starting out when I was sort of at university and um obviously he's doing incredibly well now but yeah I've I've liked watching his trajectory of how he's evolved as a designer and I think there's still a lot more to come from him um so yeah there's 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 so many but yeah I would say they're kind of a few that I like to follow and if somebody wanted to start up their own brand, like children's brand, what advice would you give them? Um, in terms of children's wear, I would say it is it is a tricky industry in the sense that from a profitability point of view, margins on children's wear are very tough compared to adult clothing. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a reason why you're stepping into the children's wear market I think there has to be a point of view or a a point of difference um, that you can offer um, to what's already there because it is a very competitive marketplace in terms of price and in terms of style and obviously you don't have sort of high fashion within children's wear I mean there are catwalk shows I do get asked to do them but I refuse to do catwalk shows with children that's just totally Mm -hmm. against my values personally but um I, yeah, it's it's not an easy business to navigate. So I think you definitely need to do your work on the numbers and the figures. And if you want to wholesale or if you want to be a direct consumer um, kind of brand, because uh, it is it's very sort of different to going into adult clothing. Um, but yeah, it is also great to be able to offer something I hope what I've I've achieved is something different that wasn't there. Um, and I think with any business or any brand or any designer I think it's just about trying to be original and trying to be yourself and um, I know we talked a little bit earlier before the podcast about um, you know that there's so much style appropriation Mm -hmm. now where so much has been done in fashion and I think it's very easy to copy or subconsciously or non-subconsciously kind of be absorbed by what's going on in the industry and kind of um, follow that and I think it's really important now to just try and be yourself and put your creative vision out there that's different and and is exclusively yours because I think we even see it with some of the established designers now it's it's very hard to be new and original so um, I think you can only be yourself really and and not look at what other people are doing I think that would be my biggest advice to anyone is don't look at what other people are doing and and just do what you want to do and on that note Lee, I would just like to thank you so much for coming on to Menswear by Woman podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, and and I'm so grateful to you for making the, you know giving me the time to have a amazing interview with you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Samilla. Thank you very much, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what's next from your podcast as well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Take care. Thank you, and you. <laughs>